I'm Dave Binocco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. I hope you enjoyed our last podcast episode with Michelle Kinder, former Executive Director of the Momentous Institute. With Michelle, we began to look at the art of having difficult conversations in this month preceding the election. We wanted to understand how communities like Parish can stay together by embracing deep listening and civil dialogue. Little did I know until speaking with Michelle that she had deep admiration for today's podcast guest, Jolie Angel Robinson. Michelle found her to be a source of inspiration, and I think you will too. I read an article about Jolie in the Dallas Morning News last month. Community columnist Sharon Grigsby extolled the work Jolie had done for eight years while serving as director of the Dallas Police Department's Community Affairs and Youth Outreach, a role Jolie left just last month. Grigsby conveyed the picture of a leader in Miss Robinson who thrived when cultivating community and who demonstrated a drive to do the right thing, even when it might be not the easy thing to do. Grigsby wrote about Jolie's place at the, quote, heated intersection of cops and citizens and her role as one of a, quote, translator connector. I knew upon reading the article that I wanted to have a conversation with this community leader, and I'm honored she has offered her time to visit with us. Indeed, as the podcast audience and I explore the theme of Together this season, and in particular in these initial episodes of the month of October, consider how a big component of coming together is the demonstrated ability of the people in a given community to be able to talk and listen to one another. Jolie is the perfect guest. After all, as tensions flare in communities across the country between citizens and police, who better to help us explore the complexity of this relationship than Jolie? Following up on our recent discussion with, yes, one of her admirers and Michelle Kinder, Jolie will help us realize just how challenging, yet worthwhile, it is to play the role of connector and to help a group of people establish healthy lines of communication. And she'll give us some advice to take into our work with young people on how we can forge in them the type of values and belief systems that will lead them to a life of authentic and bold leadership in their community. I hope you enjoy this visit with Jolie Robinson. Jolie Robinson, thanks for joining me on the From My Angle podcast. Thank you. Happy, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. So glad to have a new friend. Yes, I'm glad <laughs> to have a new friend. I heard you just did uh, Michelle Kinder, one exactly. of the most amazing people in Dallas. Love her. Who said the same thing about you pre-show. So you gave her a shout out on the show, which she did not to you. I so, one-upped you, Michelle Kinder. Yeah, I won- <laughs> Exactly. But, uh, you know, it was very funny that she did, because I said, I'm, I'm talking to Julie Robinson next week, and we're talking on this theme of together, and we're talking about how hard, difficult conversations are, and we're talking about the tensions in our world, our communities today. And uh, I'd read this article on Jolie, and I knew I had to talk with her because she was you know, as Sharon Grigsby in the Dallas Morning News wrote the article last month said, at the intersection of cops and citizens. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, I want to mm-hmm. learn more from her. So thank you for coming to, to, to help us to help us learn and, and work our way through some of these challenging uh, conversations. Of course, Sharon Grigsby did a phenomenal job on the article. I told her thank you so much. Um, when she reached out to me about it, you know, as I was transitioning out of the Dallas Police Department, I said, sure, you know, Sharon, I've known Sharon for a few years. And so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm open about sharing my story. So I really appreciate that opportunity. 
she's a must read on Sundays because she's so incisive and insightful on really uh, what I would call down and in uh, community-based issues and whether Mm -hmm. it's stray dogs or whether it's police and cops and what the police and cop issues or what have you Mm -hmm. just got her fingers on the on the pulse of the community so commend it to you don't have the date on it but it was in early September listeners just google Jolie's name J-O-L-I uh, Robinson, and you will see it uh, front and center on the Google search. So yes, you reference your time at Dallas Police Department. You are uh, actually, as of today, which is uh, early part of October, October 7th, uh, you have uh, formally left your position there after eight years as Director of Community Affairs and Youth Outreach. But to provide some context for our listeners, broadly, what responsibilities did you have in that, uh, I'm sure, very um, cumbersome and full position? What, what, did, what were you doing? Yeah, that that position was a uh, a mixed bag of engagements, initiatives uh, focused on how we're engaging our community and our residents across the city of Dallas. Um, And so under my leadership was the youth outreach unit that had explorers and junior explorers and our police activities league. Right. So they did basketball and boxing and chess tournaments. And we had an officer that, you know, taught guitar out at different schools. Um, In community affairs, we had our Hispanic Latino outreach program known as UNIDOS. Our LGBT liaison was housed in community affairs. We had African-American outreach. We had Asian-American outreach. And that community affairs office, which not a lot of people know has been around since the late 80s, Um, and was propped up and put in place due to a federal mandate because of our poor relationships with communities of color, um, that that unit was was, uh, mandated for us to start. And so, you know, every day managing a team of 20 plus folks, every day looks different. Whether we're going door to door, passing out flyers about COVID or taking the census or an upcoming event that the police department is having or, um, we we plan chief on the beat or coffee with cops or working in this in this different in this age of COVID in 2020 we had to figure out some different things so we kind of went virtual helped out at some food banks um, throughout the week so we can modify how we were engaging individuals and also stay safe. And you would also just get the phone call from the citizen who was wanting to talk about an engagement with the police that had been um, disconcerting to them too. So those would just drop into your normal course of programming, correct? Correct, whether um, it was in, you know, an engagement with an officer that, uh, you know, they were not pleased with. I always um, ask people to also, you know, utilize the internal affairs process. Um, that's what the process is, is, is there for. And if that doesn't work, then how can I be a, a conduit for residents in the community to be heard? Uh, a lot of the calls I received over my seven and a half years were because people wanted to be heard. We don't listen very well, is what I've learned. Um, because people are so busy and they're concerned about what they're concerned about, they don't listen. And so one of the things I told my team is the buck stops with us. If somebody is calling us or emailing us, that means they've probably been shifted around three or four different times. So we need to figure out how to do some damage control. We need to figure out how to get them connected with some resources if that's what they're looking for. So, yes, it would be those calls and emails when people were, you know, were not satisfied with their level of service. 
Yeah, and a big department that covers a lot of miles all the way up here to North Dallas, where I am today at the Hillcrest uh, mm-hmm. campus, the Hillcrest and Spring Valley, mm-hmm. uh, all the way to the community from which you're speaking to me uh, over in, in Oak Cliff in, in South Dallas. So it just covers uh, a wide range. So let's scroll back like uh, a couple of cycles, like really to how you're, you're not a police uh, woman. And so uh, yeah. people may be thinking, oh, she's just a, a police officer, which you're not. But you found yourself in community engagement law enforcement. So you came to Dallas when you were 12, as I understand from the story, and spent mm-hmm. a good portion of your youth there then. But you've also been really honest with the challenge you faced early in your life, which I think is uh, admirable too. When you were that young young Jolie, did, did you picture yourself in any way becoming uh, someone who'd be involved in law enforcement? Not at, not all. at all. Not at all. And it's a part of my story that I, I share. Um, and, and one reason I'm really transparent. And so, you know, if, if you're listening now and you take a look at the article, if you've already read it, I'm very honest and transparent about physical abuse, you know, at the hands of a close relative. I'm very honest and transparent about my birth father, who is homeless and has been experiencing homelessness for about 15 years now due to drugs and alcohol, because I don't want people to have shame around their life, the uncontrollables of their life. Um, I know that, that when we have shame and we're not open and honest, you know, about some of the, the difficulties we go through, it creates this aura that, that we're perfect. And so everybody else is like looking at you or you're looking at them like, gosh, they look like they never go or never have gone through anything. And I, you know, one of the, I guess the magic, ingredients to community engagement is to be relatable. I have struggles. I've had struggles. And so the only way um, we can start to form a relationship is if I'm honest and transparent. And so, yes, you know, those things I'm, I'm honest and I had to work my way up to that honesty because of feeling shame or thinking people were going to judge me based on, you know, some of the truths of the experiences I went through, but, you know, powering through that to know the only way to build the best relationships with those you love and those out in the community is to be open and honest. Yeah. It's a real powerful message on this theme of coming together. This element, do you embrace your vulnerability? Do you, do you um, really seek to share the, 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 the power of your lived experience and are we ready to listen to the lived experiences of others without judging? Right. Right. That is, that is a fine balance. That is a fine balance. I, you know, I tell my friends, there's a, there's a something, I can't even remember if I read it or just picked it up. Not everything needs to be commented on. Like I go forth and when I'm listening to people's stories, that's not my time to give advice. Mm -hmm. That's not my time to like shame folks. It's not my time to, you know, look at them with pity and judgment, but it's my time to support them and, and just hear whatever it is that, that is, you know, on their heart. Well, what values though, do you then um, trace back to that tumultuous time as a teen arriving in Dallas, you know, with, with a family that presented you with some variables that were not traditional for yeah. individuals. Like what values do you trace back? I, I think, you know, one of those things is my mom has always been a tremendous woman and fighter and, and, and gave me originally my heart for service. And so uh, my mom is an RN. She's been an RN for a very long time. She went to the military. um, And when I was younger, I remember for Thanksgiving and Christmas, we would adopt a family, right? Like not an anonymous family on a tree, which there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But if my, as an RN, if my mom met someone along the way, 
during the holidays, we would adopt that family and we would take gifts and food. And even to this day, those holidays are important for us family to get together, but we're not big on presents and the biggest, newest thing for one another. What really, um, the seed that was really planted was service to others. And however that looks, for that other person, right? So not like ramming down the throat of what I think service should look like for someone else. But again, really listening to what it may be that people are in need of or in want of, and then how can I serve them um, in a way that makes them whole and, and makes them feel loved and supported. Yeah, so did that, did, uh, did you stumble into that ability to serve as your director of community affairs and youth outreach role, or how did that how did that symmetry of value to position appear for you by happenstance, or did you seek it out and and land on it? I, I sought it out. So before joining the police department, I worked for it was Verizon Yellow Pages. I think it was Super Pages at the time. I was doing like system support, right? So in the office, I could put on my headphones, didn't have to talk to anybody, talk to my little pod mates, my little cube mates, um, and and that was about it. It was um, a few years I decided, okay, this is good, right? This is paying my bills. I'm, I'm having a good time, able to take vacations. But what I want to do is I want to feel like I'm serving community. So I started volunteering with Dallas CASA as a court-appointed special advocate. Mm -hmm. Because of my past, right, because of the physical abuse that I experienced, I sought out an organization like Dallas Casa that was serving a population of children that are in the foster care system um, or the CPS system because of perhaps some abuse and neglect in their, in their past. Um, and so, or in their present, really in my past, but in their present. And so I did that for three years and it, I felt really great about it. I, you know, I had the freedom at, at, my, at my job, my current role to go um, and show up for the, the youngsters in court if necessary or meet with them for lunch. But after a few years, I was like, this is great. But I want to I wanna feel like I'm waking up every day serving my city. Like every day I want to feel like I'm in the community doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, to serve and not just kind of, you know, in a volunteer basis, but really day to day digging into to what can make our city and our community better. Mm. And so I applied for a, a variety of jobs in the nonprofit space, knowing that it might be difficult, right? It might be difficult to enter into the nonprofit space from this IT system support. Um, I applied for a few different jobs. I got a call from um, the Dallas Police Department and I was shocked. I was like, well, I don't remember applying at the police department <laughs> but it was this community engagement role um, that I did apply for I interviewed I come to find out I heard there were only there were over like 200 folks that applied for the job because you know that that job was well coveted I actually took a pay cut you know to leave the the private sector and go to the police department had to do the background check all of that good stuff and so I really said God if this is where you it did it wasn't what I thought I was like, I didn't see myself joining law enforcement or going to a police department, but I said, Lord, if this is what you would have for me in this next stage of life, you know best, you know best. And so I'm going to step out on faith. So, you know, that was seven and a half years ago. And, and it was really, um, you know, I'm really thankful for each of the days that I've had to serve my community in that capacity. 
Yeah, what an amazing story. And of course, the listeners can do the uh, chronological math in their head, but you know, 2014, Michael Brown and Ferguson, and then you sort mm-hmm. of just move forward. That's about three years into your three years into your role, basically. Yes. Right? yes. So essentially, a, a, a preponderance of your time, um, and then here in Dallas too. Uh, you know, with the with the slaying of the officers in um, in 20 in 2016, all the way up to to the present um, recent um, uh, um, summer. You know, you have lived through um, the true uh, heat of citizens and police mm-hmm. in, 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 in contest with one another. And so mm-hmm. I want to kind of dig into, because I thought this, this notion that Sharon talked about this, which you referred to as I referenced is this heated intersection, right? Yeah. Where you stand yeah. as a member of the police department and you already talked about it to a certain degree with taking these phone calls and what have you. Like, what have you observed in the relationship between police and citizen in Dallas? Are we more together or apart? when it comes to the relationship, and I know it's overgeneralizing to a great degree, but mm-hmm. from, from the highest level, what, what do you see, more together or apart over your uh, tenure with the police department? Really good question, and, you know, and it's one kind of I get asked frequently. The unfortunate reality is these incidents, air quotes, quote unquote incidents that have happened, that have been on the radar of people, right? The Michael Brown, George Floyd, Botham John, um, the officers that were killed um, in downtown Dallas. These incidents may be new to some. The horrific nature of how far excessive use of force can go may be new to some, but black and brown communities have known and heard these stories for generations. And so part of, you know, part of my role, I mentioned is a translator, not only am I here to kind of, was I there to be um, someone that community members can reach out to, but I was also there internally to, uh, to let some officers understand why people feel so passionately about police use of force. It's not a mystery. It didn't just start yesterday or two years ago or three or four or five years ago. The, this crockpot has been brewing for years and there has felt like no amount of justice has been done or no amount of justice has worked for a lot of folks. Um, And so part of, you know, that difficult conversation, part of, you know, when we talk about that heated, heated intersection has been lived experiences for so many people in our community for a very long time. And, and part of the conversations I'm having now is, okay, let's, let's do honor by giving the proper respect to those who have experienced this for, for generations. Let's not neglect or negate their experiences because of these new experiences with the, you know, the invention of social media and how we're able, you know, more people are able to see these things and in living color that does not throw away the really um, tragic experiences that people have had over the years. But at the same time, as, as you witnessed and attest in many of the communities that you were in and served, the police were upheld um, as great partners and advocates and highly respected. And so I think a lot of what ends up happening when we watch on the news is it's good, bad, it's a binary. 
And mm -hmm. what, I've what I'm striving to do with the kids that I work with here at Parish and really for our broader community is to invite everyone into the messy middle, right? Because That's perfect. You, I'm sure you worked with some amazing officers, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. yes, there's this history of police brutality and, and um, in inequitable treatment, especially for black and brown people. But um, across the board of all of our citizens, there also has been tremendous service and is every day offered forth by the colleagues that you had at the police department. So how did, how did you bring people to the middle? Like, what did you find was successful in bringing people to the middle to get the mm -hmm. police to listen to these lived experience stories that you were hearing on the phone calls or emails you were getting? And then to go back out to citizens who were hot and heated to deescalate them to understand the good intentions of, uh, of the officers. Did you have particular strategies that were yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I did. One of the strategies, and it's it's one thing I told my team of officers is don't defend. When when community members are coming to you with their frustrations, it is not your moment to defend at all. We naturally as humans want to defend what we feel is right or we want to defend, well, that wasn't me, that was somebody else, I wasn't there. Well, we don't know all the story we didn't we don't know all the story, or we didn't see the full video, or we weren't our immediate defense mechanism is to defend. And so I would tell my staff, if when, I, when we're talking to community members, that's not your moment to defend, not at all. That's your moment to listen, however long that takes, however heated the person may be, because what they're saying is coming from a place of their truth and there's, there's not a reason to defend. Um, I think the strategy for community members was for me just to be available, right? To be available with no agenda, with no, okay, well, how can I get you to see a different side? Mm -mm, that's not it. I'm just here to listen to what you have to say. At the end, I want to figure out what that looks like or how I can incorporate what you're saying into what I'm doing. How can I direct this to the right person? And if necessary, how am I then informing the chief or our command staff about what is happening that we may not be aware of? Um, so those are some of the some of the tactics, I think, and tools with getting people to that messy middle. And it's not easy and it's not comfortable for a lot of people on both sides. The other the other conversation I would have with my team was. We're the paid professionals at the police department. We're paid to do community engagement. That's what you're that's what that's what we're paid to do. And so, you know, yes, it may in a perfect world, you would think that community members would go through the academy and see your side of the story or or understand the, the trials and tribulations of what it is to be an officer day in and day out. But they're not paid to do that. We are the paid professionals working at the Dallas Police Department. And in my opinion, should always be the entity looking to see how we can best serve community, how we can extend the olive branch first, how we can set the stage for listening and, and getting feedback constantly and consistently. Um, and even for those that fully support the police department, um, it's something I mentioned in the article. And there's a lot of people, a lot of people that aren't necessarily going to be um, the loudest. They're not necessarily going to show up to a city council meeting. They're not necessarily going to take those actions. But there is a huge swath of folks that support the police department. 
Now, sometimes they would have conversations with me as a strong supporter, you know, and they would not quite understand maybe what the protests were all about. Why, you know, or, well, folks should just comply. And it was also my opportunity to have an education component about, well, here's why that, <laughs> here's why that may not be the, the, the way that you should be thinking. Or let me just add another another viewpoint to what you're thinking. It's not all about compliance because you've seen that people have complied fully and they're still, you know, killed or hurt or jailed or something like that. And I'd also try to give history. Like here's the history of where this pain is coming from. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, it was really, you know, how do I walk into this moment and these conversations um, in a way that helps serve wherever you are, right? Um, that helps serve you better. Did you find most officers were willing to, to listen to those stories of lived experience and were, were empathetic and, and aware of them? Or did you find this, what Michelle really described to us, physiological reaction of flight and fight, right? That defense mechanism first is yep. essentially biological and it's the greatest inhibitor to this sort of open to um, bringing together type conversation or dialogue we were discussing in this part of the, uh, of the podcast season. So did, did you find the officers in general to be more often than not um, uh, willing to have that uh, conversation with you and, and empathize with, with those lived experiences of the brown and black people? You know, <laughs> I mean, the question also kind of assumes that most officers are white and that's not necessarily the case at DPD. Um, so I think, I think it's, it, I think um, sometimes when we're having a conversation about officers, we take them out of the pie of general population and they're not right. So the same amount of people that you interact with day to day, whether it's your child, a sibling, a parent, your spouse, those folks either listen well or they don't listen very well. You know somebody that's going to be ready for a certain conversation with you and somebody that's not going to be ready. You know a person's going to be defensive or you know someone that's worked. And officers are the same, right? They're just, a, they're just a segment of the larger population. So you have some officers that are ready, that, are, that have the posture of listening, that have the posture of, okay, I understand the pain I'm hearing. It's not my moment to defend. I'm just going to listen. Um, you know, I'm going to apologize if necessary, and I'm going to see how I can, you know, continue to help support this individual. You have some that, that aren't there yet. You have some that, you know, have dedicated their whole lives and careers and have lost friends and partners in this, through this career. Um, that emotionally they just may not be there yet. But they're not, you know, one thing I, I, I really tried to do, because I didn't have a lot of interaction with police officers before joining the police department. I really learned how human these folks are. They, they're having struggles. <laughs> just like all humans are having struggles, they're having struggles as well. And so they're not super, they, there's no baked in superhuman strain that they have. They, they're, they're just as flawed and just as perfect as we all are. Yeah, while, while doing a job that requires split-second decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. Few of us are, are required to do where we can thoughtfully deliberate and, and deliberate and stew on a decision for a while. Some of the um, most challenging um, decisions that your colleagues face are 
uh, in nanoseconds, split seconds. And so that mm-hmm. uh, only further contextualizes it. But I can only imagine, you know, so asking someone rhetorically, you can react to it if you wish. And, and it said mm-hmm. in the article, uh, Jolie hates police. Like I can, I can somewhere imagine you walking down the hall of mm-hmm. the Dallas Police Department mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. people on either side of said hallway and offices saying, she's our advocate, she's not our advocate. Yeah. And how challenging that must have been to work in that environment for seven and a half years where, you know, people were sort of guessing what's what side of the, you know, what side of the argument were you on? Yeah, that that it was tough. And I tell people there's no side of an argument here. Like, right is right. <laughs> right is right. I don't know what to tell y'all. So if I feel like my organization at the time was making poor policies and poor decisions, I got to talk to y'all about it. I got to, cause that's a responsibility I have. I have the responsibility of not only myself, but the community that I serve to speak up when I don't think things are right, to call out some things when I don't think things are right. Um, and so that is like internally and externally, one of the, the weird spaces that I did not necessarily expect was like, I've chosen a side somehow. And there's, there's no side to choose for Jolie. There's no side in any of this life. It is the side of what is right. There's no um, them versus us versus all of y'all. That thinking, regardless of what community you're serving, organization you work with, race that you're a part of, well, not race, but your ethnicity that you're a part of, gender, sexual orientation. When we start to side, put people on sides and we're putting people in boxes and then it's very antagonistic um, relationship that we're forming. And so it, it was difficult and it was hurtful, right? It was hurtful to, to I show, I, I took a pay cut. I quit a job that I really loved when I was there for nine and a half years. I took a pay cut that wasn't small to really pour my heart and soul into what I, where I felt God had called me to work. And so to hear that was, it was hard. It was hurtful, but nothing promised to me said that it was going to be roses and lollipops and rainbows and butterflies every day. (laughs) So I said, as long as I'm getting this, I must be on the right path. Let me continue. Yeah, accommodations to, for you for, for, for doing it. But I would also say, though, I mean, nine times out of 10, you know, what is right is not instantly evident, right? And so you, you really have to be able to spend that listening time and that, and that um, kind of reflective time to really understand. And so much in today's world, especially in reaction to you know, what's, what's come uh, forward around issues of systemic racism, historic inequity, you know, um, pe- people are really just quick to want to say, you know, um, it's, again, it's uh, be, be more compliant, or it's just the bad mm-hmm. apples in the police department, everybody's just sort of jumping to conclusions on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think there's incredible complexity in a community of Dallas's um, demographic and size and then you take the individual officers you've referred to and their backgrounds and their personalities like each circumstance is in and of itself unique and complicated Mm -hmm. I say it all the time right people you know are complex and relationships are complicated so the notion that we can automatically um, sort of just put it in a template and say that's what's happened here (laughs) I think is really dangerous Um, and Mm -hmm. in the end has become so fracturing and why we're not together yeah. in micro and macro communities. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head and, and for some people and for a lot of us, what is right can feel very subjective, right? Um, with the, I just tweeted this morning, the political ads are really, they're taking me, they're taking mm -hmm. me down. Mm -hmm. um, Cause they, they provide information in such a way that it makes what they're saying seem right. Regardless of what, quote unquote, side of politics you're on, you see an ad and you're thinking what that individual is saying is right. But when you, when you look at it a little deeper, there's only one part of what they're saying that is negating several other pieces. And it goes back to a lot of times we have the, the luxury to debrief, we try, you know, to, to look at all of the different factors. We have time to toss things over in our brain and figure out what the best and right decision is going to be. Um, but I think, you know, the do no harm, the do no harm, when we lead with do no harm, are the policies that are in place from a city government, from a law enforcement agency, from a public education system or education system, is it seeking to do no harm even to, the, to, to, to those that have not been well served traditionally? Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the, the work that I'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of as the co-chair of Dallas Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation is around racial equity. Mm -hmm. And racial equity really says we have not served our black and brown population equitably, right? We have not done it. And so for racial equity work to really be productive and get at the heart and the root of what needs to change, that means there's going to perhaps be some things that we need to go back and apologize for or provide additional funding for and to. Um, and those can be, you know, difficult leaps for us to make. For, for sure. And well, to kind of just wrap it up, I was wondering about that, like that, that point of curiosity, you know, white uh, upper, upper class privately educated male leading a, you know, private school, like my lived experience is distinctly different from yours. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering, woman of color, first woman of color to hold this role in Dallas Police Department, working at this intersection of things that are inflamed by race and inequity, co-chair of the Dallas Truth and Racial Healing and Transformation Board, one of 14 such boards. I think it's about 14 across the country, Julie, right mm -hmm. there in cities yep. across, the, across the, yep. the country that are doing this work to sort of look at um, elements of systemic inequities in different cities across the, the, the country, like how you reconcile those different identities in this role. And I think I know where you're going to go with this, but I'm interested to hear how you balanced all of them because such competing priorities, employee of the mm -hmm. police department, advocate for police, African-American woman, mm -hmm. right? Like how, how did you reconcile that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it, it's much to reconcile. I, I lead with a very um, consistent and I try to live in a very consistent way that does not have me showing up in a variety of spaces differently. Mm. So the Jolie you get at the police department is the Jolie you get uh, as the co-chair of Dallas Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation is the Jolie people would get as I volunteered at Roosevelt High School on the site-based decision-making team. Is the Jolie my mom and my brother get like, it's the same individual that really just wants to do good work in the city, serving the people who need to be served, 
trying my best not to leave anyone out, trying my best to invite as many people to the table. Mm. And so when I have that, that I'm living for and, and the truth that I'm following, to me, there is no, um, there's no different, there's no different identities for me. There's no different way of life and of living. It really is thinking the same way. How do I enlarge this table? How do I dismantle this table if necessary to invite more people into the process? How am I transparent and open? Um, one of the conversations we have with Dallas Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation is providing on, ra on ramps to this racial equity work. Just like you said, you have a totally different lived experience than I do. And so your on ramp may be different. It may not be different. But when we're doing this work in the city, we want to ensure we're providing on ramps wherever it is on the highway, right? Two miles in, a mile in, five miles, 20 miles in for those interested in working along one another, those interested in having those tough conversations if necessary to join us in doing the work. And so, you know, I think that's, that's, that's what I continue to lead with. I think, you know, the identity that I have is, is a very consistent one, um, you know, that, that most of my friends and those that are close to me kind of know, this, this, this is Jolie, this is how she's gonna show up here, there, this is how she's gonna show up just about everywhere. It is a powerful lesson for the leaders that we work with here, the young leaders that we work mm -hmm. with here at Parish, um, who we, by mission, purport to uh, create to be bold leaders, that until you lead authentically, is sort of grounded in deep self-awareness of who you are that you will not lead effectively. So you have to start to go into you. And I knew you were going to go to North star and to what is capital right. And yes. to service, like essentially your work is identity agnostic yes. because you're, you're, you're pursuing a higher, a higher plane of service mm -hmm. to the community pursuit of what is right and true and just. And so it really doesn't matter if you come as a woman or a woman of color or mm -hmm. who's had an experience with <laughs> abuse, or if you uh -huh. were to have come from uh, a lived experience that was flipping all of those, male, yeah. you know, yeah. white and upper mm -hmm. middle class, whatever, like you would mm -hmm. be pursuing that same set of principles. And so for us in our work with young people, and I think for parents that are listening, for, for example, um, really working with your, with, your, with your child to understand who they are, what drives them at value, and, and how they can orient their gifts and skills toward that work as you did by saying, I want to get out of the cubicle, though I like my buddies here. I want to get I love out them. the cubicle, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I, I want to get into the community and do, my, and do my thing is probably the greatest way you can help your young person today live a fulfilling and impactful life in, in the future. So I hope, um, I hope your, your impact continues here in the Dallas community. I know you're exploring lots of options and I'm glad, uh, so glad to have you in my network, um, both yeah. here at Parish, but um, in United to Learn, another program I'm really involved with here in the community work and in the public schools and uh, in an area of interest to you. And, and I look forward to continuing the conversations, but so appreciate you joining the, the podcast with me today. Of course, thank you. Thank you. One, one last thing, I, I love Please. like the, the, the kind of call to action for your students, for your parents, you know, the North Star. I have a friend who gave me a little bracelet that had a compass on it. And that compass meant so much to me. And it's really, you know, here's my North Star. <laughs> That's it. Any, I've said no to some things that don't align. You know, I've, I've, I say, you know what, I don't agree with that stance, but I understand where you're coming from. But here's my North Star. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I love, I love how you said that and, and, and kind of wrap that up. So thank you. I appreciate all you're doing. I appreciate it. It's been an honor to talk to you. Thanks, Jolie. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, the last on this theme of coming together to discuss, listen, and learn around challenging topics, I will visit with Stacy Todd, the director of the One Small Step program with StoryCorps. If you listen to public radio, you may be familiar with the StoryCorps concept, which over the last 18 years has connected people through their stories. In 2018, StoryCorps launched One Small Step, an effort to connect people across boundaries of political difference in order to recognize their shared humanity. Look forward to that conversation with Stacy, and think you will too. Until then, thanks for listening to the From My Angle podcast.